You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Thanks, Frank. Appreciate your story. He says people are spiritually hungry. Thankfully, he's so right. Thankfully, the scriptures tell us that the person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, that they will actually be filled, that the Lord actually fills our spiritual hunger. And that's the message we had that we want the world to know. So to God be the glory for Frank's story, and I'm just grateful that uh, you're part of this church family. You looked comfortable on TV, not sure how that, have a video, not sure how that works, but a long time of news anchor here in Tallahassee, and thankfully you and your family are part of this church. My name's Dean, I'm the pastor here, and we're in the book of Ruth. Uh, we're going uh, just three weeks, kind of get a big understanding of this important book of the Bible uh, that helps us to see God's sovereignty, God's grace, God's hand on all of history, including our own lives. Uh, before I jump in, uh, we're excited to celebrate our response together as a church to Let's Go, uh, which is a two-year expression of our vision and, and being for the gospel and for the city uh, to expand our reach to Tallahassee and beyond, uh, very much about next generation ministry, about the space they need, about our missions giving, all the things that we want to do to continue the gospel from this place, from our, from our church, for our city, and to the world. Uh, so we're calling this Celebration Sunday. It's also a baptisms afterwards today. And we had two goals related to when it came to commitment for Let's Go. The first was 100% participation by everyone who calls City Church their church home. Uh, and so I'm excited to share that so far we've had 500 total number of families and individuals make commitments to Let's Go. That's a great start. That's fantastic. Yeah, we're excited about that. And, then, and we also said this is a discipleship journey before it's anything else. And 80 families and individuals made commitments to give to City Church for the first time. Isn't that fantastic? That's just, that's just wonderful. Uh, so there's still an opportunity to make, your, to make known your commitment to Let's Go, even if you missed the last few weeks. We want everyone participating together and making a commitment to, so let's us know how we can proceed uh, with this vision the Lord's given us. It's also a spiritual exercise to make a plan for how you can participate in supporting your local church and this vision. So we'd love for you to pick up a commitment card at the Let's Go station so we can reach our goal of 100% participation. Our secondary goal that we shared as we kick off this initiative seven weeks ago was to make an investment together for two years of ministry as a church family of 12 plus million dollars and to see this vision become a reality. Uh, so I'm excited to share and celebrate that based on commitments, our projected giving to Let's Go is $12,007,225.64. So awesome. So we praise God for that. Uh, thank you for your participation. Uh, we celebrate that together. This is all of the Lord, not of us. Uh, so you might ask, so what's next? Well, we're just getting started. That does not mean I'm, I'm preaching a, ser a sermon series in three months called Let's Keep Going. I promise I won't do that. But we had the opportunity today to kick off our giving to Let's Go and see those commitments and that giving fulfilled. So we have a chance to take steps, to, uh, next steps really, to make this investment and to fund this vision. So if you haven't committed, you might be going, oh, great. They hit their goal. Well, one, there's no they, it's we. Uh, and I don't need to participate then. I, I want to challenge you to rethink that. So we have a desire to complete 19 million in ministry over the next two years. And every dollar we raise over the 12 million uh, that has been committed is a dollar that goes directly to ministry and to that vision becoming a reality. And it's one less dollar we, that we don't have to finance in the process. So if you haven't committed, we definitely still need you as, as being part of this church. And want to encourage you to stop by the Let's Go station, get a commitment card, and participate in this exciting vision of Let's Go. Uh, so let's pray together and we'll jump into the book of Ruth and celebrate baptism. So aren't you pumped. Isn't that exciting, guys? Awesome. Fired up. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your goodness, for your mighty hand, and that we are a people who are dependent upon you. That actually should give me and give all of us together uh, really just a sense of freedom, 
that on our own that we are incapable, but you are the one who is capable of all things. So we can trust in you and not ourselves when it comes to our salvation, uh, when it comes to this church, when it comes to uh, the daily affairs of our lives, that you really are sovereign and in control and you are good. So we worship you today, our gracious and loving and holy God. I ask you to be with us today as we celebrate baptisms, Lord, that you bless our services today, uh, that you keep the enemy out of this place and out of our city, that you speak through me, through this great book of Ruth you've given us to understand more about you and your promise and your plan. And we ask you with all the churches in our cities that gather today, let the gospel be proclaimed across this city, that we're thankful that you love us, and we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. So now we're going into Ruth, and just a little bit of review uh, for when Lance did a fantastic job last week. If you were here, Lance is such a good Bible teacher, such a good preacher. I was thankful to be able to kick the book off for us. Uh, so this Old Testament book that may seem a little insignificant is actually packed with so much for us and how we can understand more about God and what he's doing uh, for his people. And the book of Judges is happening at the exact same time as the book of Ruth, and the book of Judges is like dire straits, just terrible things happening, godlessness, despair, ruin, a rebellion against God. It almost felt like God was going to turn his back on his people. It just kind of felt that way as you read the, as you read the story. And we're going to be introduced today, and a really heavy next week, uh, into someone named Boaz, who's a significant character in this story, and not just in this story, but in the, the story of all of history uh, when it comes to understanding a biblical progression and how God has worked through the ages for his people. My friend Jared Wilson writes this, that against the dark backdrop of the book of Judges, lawless grotesqueries in which every man did was right in his own eyes, Boaz shines the pre-dawn radiance of God's glory in Christ. So we see this in the book of Judges. This is how the book concludes. In those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did whatever seemed right to him. Does that sound like a time era that's a little bit familiar, maybe right now? That we do whatever's right in our eyes? Might even have basic belief about God, but think maybe that we know better. There's more to be gained by disobeying him, there is to be gained by obeying him. That I gotta go around him for what I'm looking for in my life rather than right to him. So here's Ruth happening at the exact same time. And it's a story of when even you don't see it, God is actually working. He is actually still moving. And the way we know that, especially in our own lives where we ask the questions like, God, where are you? Where are you in this? Have you forgotten about me? The greatest thing that God has given us when we have those thoughts is not a lecture, it's not to shame us, it's not to tell us that we're people of terrible faith, Rather, it's to point us back to history of how he continues to work over and over again, even when we don't see it. So Ruth begins like this. It says, during the time of the judges, that's so significant, because we're just told that in those days there was no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So now we see this during the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. So a lot of just really tough things happening here. A man left Bethlehem in Judah with his wife, and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. So going to a different land with his family during the famine. And we see this story taking place at the exact same time as the book of Judges here in biblical history. So there's a severe famine in the land, so a man from Bethlehem trying to find food goes to Moab with his wife and sons, and his wife's name is Naomi. So now they're in a new land that has its own gods. And we see that Naomi's husband winds up dying. 
and then her two sons, they die too. So out of this family, there's now only Naomi and the wives of her sons, who are both Moabites. So talk about difficult and hard times. This is the definition of that. We got no food. Family has passed away. And the only people who are left are the daughters-in-law. And the rational question you would ask when you see this, if you're just a human being like I am, is, God, where are you? Where are you in this family? Had they done something wrong? What's happening here? And the story of Ruth is a story that helps us to see that those questions we have actually can be answered. So word travels that the famine had ended, and we see this as she and her daughters-in-law set out to return from the territory of Moab, she being Naomi, because she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people's need by providing them food. God answered the people's prayers and provided food for them in their land that he had given them. So she left the place where she had been living. It's time to go home, in other words, accompanied by her two daughters-in-law and traveled along the road leading back to the land of Judah. So Naomi is going to go back to Bethlehem and continues to think that God has turned against her. One commentator named Barry Webb writes this, she expects very little from God herself and even less for her daughters-in-law. She asks the Lord to bless her daughters, to provide husbands for them in Moab, and says her goodbyes. After some initial resistance, Orpah, who's one of the daughters-in-law, quite reasonably, on the surface you could say, decides to remain with her people and her gods. I want to stay here in this world. I want to stay in Moab. Naomi, thanks for a great life. Appreciate you. You go back to your gods. I'm going to go back to mine. But Ruth, we see in the story, stays with Naomi. So what does that mean? Was she just the favorite daughter-in-law? Is that all it was? Were they just extra tight, an extra close relationship? Did she just need to get away and start over, just kind of have a relaunch of her life? A lot of times when bad things happen, they seem to kind of get away and just restart. Is that what this is about? No, actually, this is a decision of completely renouncing her old life, her land, and ultimately their God's lowercase g. And here's a statement, it's the most famous statement in all the book of Ruth, that is power-packed when it doesn't even first seem like it. It seems like a simple statement, but I would say it's axis-altering and turning in one's life. Here's what she says. This is Ruth speaking, talking to Naomi. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. What a claim. Axis altering. Life changing. When you make that declaration that that God is going to be my God, the one true God who is holy. There's only one God. And he created us in his image to know him and be in relationship with him. But rather than worshiping him, we said, God, no thanks. I might kind of believe in you, but I got my own thing going on here. Uh, the Bible says we made an exchange, exchange the worship of God for the worship of created things. In other words, God, I don't want you to be my God. I want other things to be my God. Now, we'll never actually admit that or call them our gods, but functionally, that's how it works. And God is a holy God who won't let sin go unpunished. And that rebellion against him, we're told, demands death. 
And it's important to know that because nothing about Jesus makes sense unless you know that. The Christmas manger scene that you're decorating for right now, some of y'all jumped the gun a little bit, by the way. Who's already had their, who already has their tree up? Okay, I just want to let you know if you need anything done, who to, who to ask to do something for you, because they're ahead of the game here. So it makes no sense unless the penalty for sin is death. Because Jesus was born here, not just to teach us moral lessons, even though he did that, not just to help us with our lives, even though he does that, but he came here ultimately to die for us, to die for sinners. So he died in our place of death that we deserve to make us right with God. So when we confess that Jesus is Lord and give our lives to the Lord, we are saying, you, God, are my God. And it's an access-altering event of our lives. It changes everything. So even though Ruth has made a life-altering choice in her loyalty to Naomi, we see Naomi still feels empty. She suffered a lot of pain in her life. And she tells the woman of Bethlehem when she arrives, here's what she says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, she answered, which means the Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. And she's not talking about food here. Do you ever feel empty, even though you have so much? Now here's someone who does not have very much. She's lost everything and feels spiritually empty, even more than anything. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has opposed me? The Almighty has afflicted me. Now I want to pause there for a minute and say that these are common thoughts oftentimes in scriptures. In the scriptures, meaning you're not the first person to ever have these kind of questions. You're not the first person to ever wonder if this is true of you. And it's easy to feel shame about this and maybe for to feel guilt over this. But notice she's not becoming an atheist here or an agnostic. She's still talking about her belief in the Lord. She's acknowledging that God really actually is in control and is crying out in her pain and confusion about why this is all taking place. And again, we go back to history to see that God has dealt with these kind of claims from his people for a long time. So Naomi came back from the territory of Moab with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the Moabites. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So things are happening now. Food is coming back. And notice that word. Can we put it back on the screen real quick, please, screen person? Thank you. That word, Bethlehem. Does that city sound familiar to you? Even if you're brand new to church and brand new to hearing about the Bible, does that name sound a little familiar? Something significant happened in Bethlehem. A baby would be born years and generations later in this city that suddenly they go back to that God has allowed a harvest to take place. So this chapter ends with a hint, kind of a tease that something is happening, that God is at work. Andrew Prudhoe, an Australian pastor, I wish I could read it in an Australian accent, that'd be so cool, but I'm not good at it. It writes this, Naomi and Ruth arrive in Bethlehem as the barley harvest is beginning. And as we soon discover, it's not only empty stomachs that are filled by the Almighty. In the ancient world, there weren't many ways for a woman to provide for themselves. Ruth is able to glean in the fields of their relative Boaz, we're going to introduce to him, who turns out to be generous and kind to them. 
but eventually harvest ends. The women are back where they started in poverty with no help and no husbands. Enter Boaz, who's referred to as a kinsman redeemer. We see this. Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a prominent man of noble character. He was from Elimux, I can't say that, family. His name was Boaz. It's a good dog name, by the way. Boaz the bulldog, go for it. Ruth the Moabitess asked Naomi, will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain from behind someone with whom I find favor? Naomi answered her, go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. She happened to be in the portion of the, happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. Later, when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he said to the harvesters, the Lord be with you. Stephanie Van Eck says this to help us have some background here. The role of the kinsman redeemer is found in Leviticus chapter 5. In the case of the Israelite man's death in which he fails to leave behind a son, the brother of the deceased man is commanded to take his widow as wife and both redeem the land and provide a son to carry on the deceased father's name. A lot of interesting family intermingling there. Y'all from Stop Shop are like, oh yeah, totally, we know all about that. Uh, so this is Boaz's alleged position as this kinsman redeemer, a family member who now has a responsibility to take care of through marriage the wife of his deceased brother, or family member, I should say. So in Ruth chapter 2, verse 20, it's indicated that Naomi sets Ruth up for this, and Ruth pleads with Boaz to fulfill this role as the kinsman redeemer. Being the godly man that he is, and how interesting that here in the, where everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes, when there's dire straits, when things are looking very negative in the land, here is someone who's actually following the Lord. That God always has someone that he is using and setting apart even in the worst of times. So Boaz graciously receives Ruth's offer but communicates that he is not the nearest kinsman redeemer. Vanek says this, however, he promises that as soon as morning breaks, he'll look into the situation, and additionally, he supplies Ruth with six measures of barley. Just some background there. Through a series of events, the door opens for Boaz to fulfill his position as kinsman redeemer. Boaz rises to the task of becoming a kinsman redeemer, and in the time of godless judges, God has allowed Ruth to meet a man who follows the Lord and is going to bring her in, as the culture worked back then, as his wife. In Bethlehem, what we're seeing here is the story, and it's really all of our stories, of going from ruin to redemption from ruin to redemption. It looked like things were just as bad as they could be. Yet here is God redeeming a story. And the reality is that's true of all of us. Spiritually, things were as bad as they could be. The Bible says that we were dead. Read Ephesians chapter two. I'd love for you to read Ephesians chapter two on your own. That we were dead in our sins. Not kicking for air, 
not on a life preserver, like we were actually dead in our sins. But God in his grace, we're told, made us alive in Jesus Christ. We were in spiritual ruin, separated from God, and God by his grace has redeemed us through Jesus. So here in Ruth's personal situation, the reality is the same. She wasn't just in spiritual ruin as a Moabite who didn't know the Lord. She was in personal ruin as someone who had experienced so much pain and heartache. And here is God being with her to now not have her get over it, because we still have things that, that stick with us, but to show her the plan and to start to give her something new. See, Boaz foreshadows Jesus Christ. We're really getting to Boaz next week. But he foreshadows Jesus, who is the ultimate kinsman redeemer, who entered into ruin to redeem a bride for himself, which is the church of Jesus Christ. All believers around the world, past, present, and those who are to come to faith eventually. Like, how incredible. So right now, if you feel like you're in a Naomi position, or maybe you just know you're spiritually dead, Maybe you're spiritually hungry like Frank talked about in his video. The reality is the same God who was orchestrating the events for Ruth and Naomi to end up in Bethlehem where she would meet Boaz who wouldn't be the first in line kinsman redeemer but then would step in because of circumstances. And you know what we see come from their family and their union? The lineage that leads to the birth of Jesus Christ. The God stepping into that situation to bring about the greatest story of all. And the reality is God has stepped into your situation to bring about an amazing story. And what is that amazing story? It's one of redemption found in Christ. And he tells us that he's going to keep working in us and shaping us and growing us until he returns. Philippians 1.6 says that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in Christ. And if you ask the question, well, how can that be true? One, Jesus always keeps his promises. But I think the scriptures show us a historic, chronological story of God over and over again, reminding us that that is true. If you've ever heard me, hear me as clearly as you can right now. God has not abandoned or forgotten about you. He has not abandoned, nor has he forgotten about you. The story of Ruth shows us that he has always been working in different ways that don't make sense to us, that he is sovereign and he is going to fulfill his promises ultimately to redeem a people for himself. So we are to fix our eyes on Christ what was the changing game for Ruth here? It wasn't even meeting Boaz at first. It was her first proclamation that your God will be my God. Your God will be my God. What would it look like for the God of all creation? The God who knit you together in your mother's womb. The God who rules over all things. The God who so loves the world. If he also was one that you would proclaim is your God. Now he's God whether you claim he is or not, but that personally he is your God. And how that is understood 
is by first receiving the one that Boaz is pointing to. And that is the Son of God, Jesus Christ. That can die for our sins, make us right with God, and to redeem a bride, a people, a church for himself. And isn't that great news? So we're going to really get into Boaz and kind of in the, in the thick of some of the stuff next week. I'm excited about that, about fleshing a lot of this out. Uh, and this book is so important. This small little book that seems insignificant. It's so powerful and how it points us ultimately to God's redeeming plan in Christ. And we get to be a part of that. That's what we get ready to celebrate at Christmas time. Like, we get, like that's what we're celebrating. That's what we're getting excited about. Because that's the very essence of what it means to believe the Christian faith. Is that Jesus Christ came to this earth to redeem a bride. Isn't that great news? Thankfully, he rose from the grave three days later, so we can have full confidence in him. And one day he's going to return again for his church. I'm going to pray for us. We have 32 people getting baptized today over our three services. If, if you are getting baptized today, will you please stand up? If you're one of those 32 today, will you please stand up so we can see you and celebrate with you? Here we go. Fantastic. As I, uh, as I get ready to, as, as, as I begin to pray, uh, will you uh, go ahead and head out and, uh, and get ready uh, to go head outside so we can get ready for baptism. Then we'll sing a song together, sing some good news, and we'll head out and celebrate. So let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your love for us. I'm thankful that every person in this room has something in common, and that is that they are loved by you. And another thing in common is they need you. We need you for our salvation. We need you for every day. So we're thankful that our ultimate redeemer is Christ. And for the stories of the Old Testament that are there, more than to teach us moral lessons, to point us to you and your story and how you're redeeming a people for yourself. So I thank you for that good news. I thank you that you are sovereign. I thank you you have not forgotten about us. I thank you that your plans can never be altered because you are God. Lord, let your people be our people and you, the one true God, be our God. We're thankful for today. We're thankful for baptism, for all you're doing here. And we're grateful for it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together and sing some good news.